0: Hey guys, Bill here, big show today, Bill Connolly, he has been on for the moment. First, we're going to have Todd McShay on, going will be talking about the quarterbacks from this year's draft class, and if you want to listen to Todd talk about them at greater length, you can listen to the First Draft Podcast, he with Bill Kuyper, the two most trusted voices when it comes to the NFL Draft, talking about all things draft over the next several weeks in podcast form. Listen to that by subscribing to the First Draft Podcast on Apple Podcasts or wherever You listen to podcasts, do that for the Bill Barnwell Show as well. And you can listen to the Bill Barnwell Show with Todd McShay and Bill Connolly right now. Joining me now here on the Bill Barnwell Show, as promised, is ESPN's Todd McShay. Todd, how are you? I'm doing well.
1: How's it going, Bill?
0: I'm good. We're all hanging in there, all excited about the draft, some content for us to work with in a a relatively devoid uh, sports landscape at this point. But Todd, of course... Uh, you've been covering the NFL draft for us for several years now. You do great work. Always love reading your stuff. But I think a lot of the time, you know, you're focused on giving evaluations on prospects. It's very sort of, you know, player-specific. So I just want to kind of take a step backwards and just ask about kind of the bigger picture stuff as someone who, you know, for for people who are interested in the game and interested in sort of, you know, watching quarterbacks, understanding, you know, what, what someone who does this for a living is thinking. Let's just start with this. Let's start with the broadest question. In terms of evaluating a quarterback, What's the first thing or what's the first couple things you look for that really start helping you, helping you, uh, form an opinion.
1: Uh, It's brutal. (laughs) I wish there was a, I I mean, I can give you the answers that, that everyone in the league will give you, you know, um, mental makeup certainly is a big part of it. Mm -hmm. And accuracy to me is the second biggest part. Okay. Uh, but how do you measure those things? That's, that's, that's the struggle. You know, some guys are, some of the best quarterbacks that I've ever evaluated that we've ever watched are some of the biggest jerks, if you will, out there. Um, Some guys are kind of, you know, a little bit more laid back, but still handle their business and, and are just more, I don't want to say more cerebral, but are cerebral with their approach. That's the hardest part, is getting to know the player and then trying to figure out mentally who they are. The accuracy, you can – it's a lot easier, obviously, to evaluate. Arm strength is the most overrated aspect of evaluating a quarterback, in my opinion, but it's the first thing that jumps off the tape. I mean, I've got a five-year-old son. Tate could go sit down right now with me and and say, yeah, he has a strong arm. He doesn't have a strong arm, you know, Mm -hmm. after watching five players accuracy is difficult because you have to, first of all, you have to figure out what, what, what are they trying to do? Where do they go with the ball? When did they get the ball out? And, and then you have all these numbers that says uh, he completed 59% compared to 72%, mm-hmm. but the guy who completed 59% might actually be more accurate. And so you have to put in the time watching the tape because you're going to pick up on you know the seven drops per game or mm-hmm. receivers not being in the right spot. So, um, I, I mean, I've messed up so many times on quarterbacks, and there's there's no one in the league who will say that they didn't. Of um, course, but but you try to you try to figure out some of the things that will limit the failure more than even finding the success if that makes sense like i, mm-hmm. I I've, I've come to know some things that help me eliminate some players eliminate some quarterbacks or at least say you know what I, I can't i can't go all in but then again like it's changing like the whole game is changing now so what didn't work 7 years ago is now some of those players are starting to work the mobility the ability to you know play outside of the pocket is become it's become much more important. Whereas like with Drew Brees, Peyton Manning, Tom Brady, all the best quarterbacks we've seen in the past fifteen years mm-hmm. were all great in the pocket. That's where they live, and you still have to be good there. But we're starting to see quarterbacks now have to have more success outside the pocket, be able to extend and have that mobility.
0: Yeah, I mean, it's funny, you actually answered like two of my follow-up questions in in giving your answer to that first question, so that was perfect. (laughs) Um, In in terms of, you know, not really just about evaluating a player incorrectly, because, you know, everyone does it. I mean, Ozzie Newsom traded up for Cal Bowler, you know, I mean, Bill Belichick's traffic quarterbacks that have not panned out. I mean, not really about one specific guy, but more so just about the sort of the broader process. Is there something you wish you could go back, you know, 10 years or 15 years and tell, the, you know, the evaluator you were a decade ago or 15 years ago to watch out for or, you know, that, that you maybe placed more emphasis on then than maybe you would now or something that stands out in that perspective?
1: There are two things that, I mean, this is just off the top of my head. Uh, two things, though, that I would say to a younger me. One, don't be so definitive when you're young and you don't know who you're you're trusting in terms of information. Mm-hmm. I guess a better way to put it is, you got to develop relationships and you've got to get to know people who are spending, who, who have a staff spending all of this time going into town, you know, whether it's sitting at bars, talking to the, the lunch lady or lunch man, um, the training staff, you got to get to know the people who are spending. I mean, there's a reason that there are, I don't know, eight to 12 scouts on each NFL staff. And Mm -hmm. there's a reason these guys are are out of their home for three plus months, you know, spending time in, in towns that you really couldn't even name and and just really diving in. So they're going to have better information. Mm -hmm. The biggest mistake I ever made was on Jamarcus Russell. And it was early in my scouting career, if you will. And I just didn't, I, Anyone could figure out that he had a big arm. He had a great season. He had the physical tools. I mean, he, he could have been great had he had the mental makeup, um, but he didn't. And what I questioned, and when I talked to some people that I shouldn't have trusted, it was, eh, he's, he's more poised. He's, he's just, you know, he, he, nothing, nothing bothers him. He's just relaxed. That... Like what if if I really knew the people that I know now and and had the information I never would have bought in to Jamarcus and so that was a good learning lesson for me if you will and then the mm-hmm. second thing is keep learning you know keep learning I, because I, I've you know with Blake Bortles I've I've learned things from that um, th- there have been s- numerous quarterbacks and I go. The quarterbacks that I fail on are the ones that I go back and study why and then ask try to ask more questions. I think that's the biggest thing. If you're trying to evaluate quarterbacks, you can never learn enough, uh, but keep evolving and keep learning. And when you do make make a mistake, go back and figure out why. I, I think that's the biggest thing that I've learned over 20 years of doing this.
0: Yeah, I mean, I remember, oh, geez, John Gruden, Terry Bradshaw. I mean, plenty of guys who have plenty of quarterback experience were also people who were hyping Jamarcus Russell at the time. So, I mean, it wasn't like it was, you know, strictly you. It was a lot of people. Yeah,
1: I were. mean, yeah, a lot of people did. But, yeah, but, but I wanted to figure out why. Mm-hmm. And I, I think that was the biggest reason. I just, I, I didn't know his makeup.
0: Mm-hmm. Makes sense. In terms of... When you do look back and you say, okay, well, I missed on this guy or this guy didn't live up to expectations, or even over the course of a year where you have someone like maybe uh, a Jordan Love. Uh, where maybe, and maybe this is not how you feel, I don't want to misrepresent your opinion here, but maybe his 2019 tape wasn't as impressive in some ways as his 2018 tape. I mean, how often do you go back and say, well, the guy was good. It just was a matter of where he fit or the players around him. And then not only on a college level with someone like a Jordan Love, but then also on the NFL level where you think, okay, maybe if, uh, you know, this guy had gone to, work under Andy Reid or Sean Payton or, or someone who really works well with quarterbacks, he would still be a hit. It just happened to be ended up with you know, a, a coach who didn't maximize his strengths or build his offense around him appropriately.
1: Yeah, I mean, Pat Mahomes is a great example. And you, you mentioned Andy Reid, so it, that's what jumped out to me. Um, Pat Mahomes, if you ask any evaluator in the league, just about any, I'm sure some people will say that they had it, they had it pegged for forever. And, and to his credit, uh, Brett Veach, the, the GM of the Chiefs, and I've, I've talked to him, and I've talked to Andy, and, and, um, and he, he was on him early and really mm-hmm. liked him. And it took – I remember watching Mahomes' tape and saying, man, like oh, his footwork's terrible. It's kind of like sandlot football. He's, mm-hmm. he's drifting in the pocket. He's not like mechanically, he made you want to throw up. <laughs> and, seriously, like he, and he'll admit it. I've talked talked to him. He mm-hmm. said after three, after three, what was it, three weeks or three months, whatever it was, after a period of time, his rookie year, he didn't, he still was trying to figure out uh, who the mic was. He's like, I was mm-hmm. about 70%, Todd, on who the mic was, which is like the most basic thing, the, the middle linebacker, identifying right. him pre snap, right? Um, but my point is, it it took a while because what you're used to seeing in terms of again like the Brady's, uh, the Mannings, the the breezes and the footwork and inside the pocket and protecting the ball and all the the everything that you watch in the league that has been successful for so long, mm-hmm. at that point he didn't do any of it. He really didn't. But then the end of the play would happen. You say, "Oh boy!" Like how? <laughs> how did that ball get there? You know, like I, I saw him, uh, who was it against? I forget the game now. Um, I want to say West Virginia, but mm-hmm. I, I may be wrong. I saw him drop back rift for no reason. He had an open pocket five, six seconds later, throw off his back foot sidearm. Like, picture a sidearm picture, you know, like mm-hmm. almost like underhanded, like, right. Like that scooping motion. And I, I remember, I'll never forget watching that throw and being like, oh, this is why I don't like the this guy. And then the ball lands 60, 65 yards downfield. Boom. <laughs> perfectly. Like right at, the, right at the goal line in his receiver's hands. And it was a perfect throw. And so you, you start watching those things over and over and say, all right, I, sometimes you got to look away from the mechanics and the mental part and you got to study what the result is too. And Mm -hmm. that's what makes it so difficult is that they're all different. You want the guy who has perfect footwork and and protects the ball and, and climbs the pocket when there's outside pressure and slides laterally when there's inside pressure and keeps Mm -hmm. his eyes downfield and does all of those things. But sometimes you got to, focus more on the result and and I've I've learned from a couple of mistakes and I wouldn't say Mahomes was a a mistake I had him I think as one of the top 15 players but I didn't know he was going to be the best player maybe in five years to come out of the draft
0: I mean you probably have about 30 teams with you uh, on that side of the equation in terms of not being not expecting him to be one of the best players uh, yeah but I want to
1: be one of the one of the two not one of the (laughs) thirty.
0: Of course, but you know it's the question is always right. Like, like you know, if if Patrick Mahomes went to the Jags, not to pick on the Jags, just a team that has struggled to develop quarterbacks, first team that came to mind. You could pick a half dozen others. I, I mean, you know, and Patrick Mahomes. Well, that,
1: and, and I lost my point because I got in that whole story. But the oh. second he was drafted by them, mm-hmm. I turned to. I think it was Mel, Mel and Lewis. I was sitting on the. I think it was Mel and Lewis. I forget. But I, I turned to whoever I was with and said, uh, this is he, he, this is perfect. Right. He, he's going to work out. I didn't know to this level. But, you, okay, you give a quarterback who's got all these physical tools, and it was easy to see the physical tools, a year to develop under a coach who knows how to develop quarterbacks, which, by oh, the man. way, is one of the rarities. And it's, of course. it's sad, but it's true. And – give him Alex Smith for a year. So he doesn't Mm -hmm. have any pressure. He can sit there and he can learn from, from a professional and a guy who's not going to be a jerk to him. He's actually going to help him develop because he's confident in his own skin. And Alex was, is just such a good guy, you know, and it it just was the perfect situation. You, You give all these tools to someone who can develop them with a quarterback in front of him, who will help him and allow him a year to learn how to be a pro And the second he was drafted there, I was like, ah, he's going to be way better than I expected him based off of just strictly my grade.
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, you know, a guy who's developed not only so many quarterbacks, but also so many different kinds of quarterbacks. You know, a guy who has built offenses around Donovan McNabb and Michael Vick and Kevin Cobb and, you know, all these different guys who – you know, don't make and Andy thrives
1: one. on that, man. Yeah, Andy thrives on it. It Was funny because I talked to him. I do the Chiefs preseason game, so I, I spent some time with him in the summer the past couple of years. And I I remember talking to him, and I mean, he can't say enough good things about Alex Smith. He loved being around him and coaching him. But I asked him. I said, "Are, are you kind of the year that it, um, that Mahomes was coming in as a first year mm-hmm. starter?" And he's he's like. I'm kind of invigorated, like I didn't have to coach the last couple of years with with Alex because he knew everything he's right. so like every day is a new coaching clinic for me because you know Patrick's learning he's just he's learning the game and it's so fun and exciting so you, you could kind of see you could see him go back almost like fifteen years in his coaching career to that early excitement of teaching and coaching that that Andy is I think if, if not the best in terms of quarterbacks, uh, he's he's among the best in the league.
0: He's got to be. Yeah, absolutely. In terms of Joe Burrow, yep, if, if, I, if I had told you this time last year, Joe Burrow was going to be the first overall pick, most likely first overall pick in the 2020 draft, how surprised would you have been?
1: Really surprised. I mean, I had a day three grade on him coming into the year, and, and it, you know, I... I do three or four tapes in the summer to just try to get a a baseline on players. Mm -hmm. Um, But he was just, he was a quarterback in a system where they wanted to run the ball. Uh, They weren't very dynamic. They weren't creative. And he was, he, you know, he had just gotten to to Baton Rouge and still developing his leadership style, all that stuff, you know, that, and I sat down with him and talked to him, and I remember walking out of a meeting with him, And, be, and Brian Greasy and I, all, like, I would say nine out of ten times, at least when we walk out of a meeting with a quarterback, we have mm-hmm. a similar feel. And I remember <laughs> walking out, and they're like, "What do you think, man?" And he's like, "I don't know." I was like, "I don't either," <laughs> you know, because it's, it's, he's just he's a different cat. But mm-hmm. you come to realize that th- that's part of his his greatness is. Mm-hmm. That he is a different cat. He doesn't care what anyone else thinks. He doesn't, he, he, I'm, he respected Brian, but he didn't care that Brian Greasy's Brian Greasy or anything like that. You know? Um, so there, that, there was that part of it. And then the tape was just so average. They, they were not a team that was doing a lot. Right. And, and then they adjusted and Joe Brady came in as the offensive coordinator. And listen, he, he wasn't even calling all the plays, right. you know, people, misconstrue that. He was not calling all the plays. I think he was just calling third downs. Mm -hmm. Um, But he brought an element of opening things up to the offense. And Joe, I mean, Joe Burrow, you got to remember, he was sitting behind all those unbelievable quarterbacks in terms of college quarterbacks at Ohio Mm -hmm. State and had Mm -hmm. all that success. and, um, And he just wanted to go find a place to play. And so he got a place to play, and then his second year, he finds a, a coordinator that lets him rip. And that was the biggest difference. He, he just needed it. First of all, he needed that first year to develop as a leader, mm-hmm. get his, you know, his feet underneath him, and, and realize that, hey, I, I, actually, I can do this at a very high level. And then he found a coordinator who brought the best out of him, and he also had a running back that had the best year of his career. He had an offensive line that developed. He had wide receivers that were young and, and finally broke out and started mm-hmm. to go make plays. And so it was a perfect storm. It all came together. Um, to answer your question, there if there's any concern, yeah, why is it that it was only one year? Mm-hmm. Why didn't he win the job at Ohio State? Um, why didn't he have a little bit more success or put up bigger numbers His first year at LSU. So you go through all that, but then you just got to go back to the tape and there are very few quarterbacks again, in 20 years of doing this Mm -hmm. that I can watch from beginning to end in a a season and see the kind of consistency and high level play that I saw from Joe this past year. Mm -hmm. Just like the, Knowing when to move inside the pocket, feeling it, being courageous, having the onions, if you will, to hang in there and make it throw, and then getting knocked out by an SEC defender and popping right back up, and then stepping up in the pocket the next play and and throwing the ball down the field and taking another hit. like Those are the things you see over and over again that make you believe, make me believe at least, that that he's going to be a really, really special player. I mean, it's close. Tua's got a different – Tua Tungavailoa, the Alabama quarterback, has a Mm -hmm. little bit of a different skill set. And it would be fascinating in terms of the debates within war rooms, if you will, the draft rooms, Mm -hmm. uh, if if Tua didn't have the durability questions because I think they're that close. Uh, But because Joe's been healthy and and doesn't have some of the issues that Tua has in terms of – Concerns with the durability, I think it makes it a lot easier.
0: Yeah. All right. One more question for you, Todd, and then we'll wrap up. Uh, in your most recent mock draft, you have Jordan Love going to the Chargers at six ahead of Justin Herbert. Uh, yep. Is that something that's Chargers specific for you? which you evaluate Love as better than Herbert in a vacuum? What stands out to you as sort of the difference between Jordan Love and Justin Herbert?
1: Herbert has a ton of talent. He really does. And it, you know yes he's introverted that that is de- that definitely factors into the um the equation he's he's improved as a leader he knows it he's talked about it he's when we met with him in september october he was reading a book on how to be a, an extroverted leader or something along those lines um he's saying all the right things now as he should and i get it and i like him he's really smart he's got probably the strongest arm he and jacob Eason, i would say are right there in terms of the strongest arms in the class he makes some throws that very few other guys can make when he takes off running and gets going he he really is mobile um but what i see that concerns me with justin herbert is he hangs on to his first read a little bit too long Mm -hmm. and while again he can take off and run but he's not very good at at um at buying time, like the short area, quickness, agility, suddenness, however, twitch, whatever you want to call it, and if the the biggest concern of with a young quarterback is you got to be one or the other to to get past the first couple of years and to have some success, you got to be able to either extend or you got to be smart enough to have, have enough of the answers to get the ball out. And again, I I shouldn't say smart. You got yeah. You have to process quickly enough because Justin is extremely smart. He really is. It's just does he process quickly enough with um, reading coverages? So uh, that's what concerns me. Is that I think he's going to have a tough couple of years. And uh, with Jordan, he's going to have probably a a tough couple of years. But he's more mobile. He can extend, and what he does best is he creates on the fly. And I think that's going to be his his best trait in the league. Um, I would love to see, I mean, I'd love to see any quarterback in a a Mahomes type situation. I'm not saying he's Mahomes by any stretch of the imagination, but he has some of that magic in terms of throwing off balance. Um, When chaos ensues, I think that's when Mahomes is at his best, and he's getting better on schedule, meaning inside the pocket, three, five, seven-step drop, timing, all those things, as his NFL career goes on. And I think Love will continue to do the same things, but the similarity between the two is you can create a mess, and and they kind of love it, and they thrive on that. Mm-hmm. And um and so, yeah, he had 17 interceptions, but I can write off seven or eight of them if I mm-hmm. want to make excuses for him this past year. I also can tell you that he had nine put, nine starters from his offense that left from the previous year where he had slightly mm-hmm. better numbers. But I also, thanks to our stats and information group, can tell you that the numbers aren't that different mm-hmm. outside of the 17 interceptions from right. 18 to 19, which tells you with a new coaching staff and nine other new starters playing you know with a level of competition that's not not awesome he um he got better even though the numbers don't don't line up with that that's awesome
0: well todd i mean people can check you out on espn.com you're on tv all the time the first draft podcast you're all over espn but it's a pleasure to have you come on the show today
1: thanks bill i appreciate it man keep up the good work
0: All right, thanks so much, Todd. And now joining me to talk about the quarterbacks from an analytical side and particularly specifically to talk about the presumed first overall pick in Joe Burrow, it is our analytics writer at ESPN who covers college football, my good friend, Bill Connolly. Bill, how are you? I'm good. How are you? I'm great. Let me ask you this question. We asked Todd McShay this question in the first segment. I want to ask you the same question here in the second segment. If I had told you this time last year that Joe Burrow would be pretty much the consensus pick to be the first overall selection in the 2020 NFL draft how surprised would you have been
1: um
2: I mean pretty surprised like I, it was I, the potential was obvious let's just let's say that right out front because I remember you know when I was writing you know previews about LSU in the offseason the whole concept was he looked great the last four games of 2018 um, was really throwing vertical it looked good on him the receivers were awesome, of course, and mm-hmm. that, you know, if this, if this Joe Brady guy brings anything to the table and another year of experience, maybe they could do some good things. Um, you know, you combine that with the fact that he's a big, tall white guy with a big arm, then sure, yeah, I, maybe I could have talked myself into him being the number one pick. But then he comes out, plays like five of the top ten teams in the country, posts the first 200 passer rating per the college formula, at least. Mm-hmm. Um First first ever, pretty much. And um it, it was it was the best passing year a quarterback has ever had, and that part would have surprised me.
0: Yeah. I, I mean that's that's sort of the strange thing in a way. It's almost as if the numbers are so good, uh with, you know, a seventy-six point three percent completion percentage, uh 56, 71 yards, sixty touchdowns, six picks, <laughs> no concerns about, you know, quality of defense that he faced. I mean, is there anything in this statistical profile that concerns you, or makes you think that there's just, you know, that something's impossible for him to keep up?
2: Yeah, I, I just looked it up. So um, the, their opponents last year included, per my SP Plus rankings, these numbers three, four, five, seven, eight, and nine teams in the country, plus twenty-one and twenty-six, oh, okay. um, and. And they were forced in passing success rate first and passer rating 76%. It was, it was absurd, uh, top to bottom. But I guess the, the concern I would have, and this is you really kind of have to spin this a little bit because, I mean, he was pretty much perfect all season. But, um, it, it, you know, if you're a believer that bi- the, the source of your biggest strength is probably the source of your biggest weakness too, he was uh, amazingly patient last year. Um, and you could easily, if you wanted to, spin that into him being a little too patient. I mean, he did have about a six percent sack rate, which isn't terrible, but it's not—it's not great. Um, you could see—you could paint a picture of him taking a crazy number of sacks next year. Um, you know, if his receivers aren't as open, if he's letting things happen, and he's a little too calm, uh, maybe you know that blows up and he he gets hit a lot, and and you know maybe he gets David Carrs you know, David carr or whatever, and, and that uh, impacts him. But that's what you—that's the spin you have to put on it to find anything negative. It was a ridiculous – I mean, 6% sack rate for how vertical he was throwing part of the time is, is really not bad. It's just a question of, like, if those can, – can he settle a little faster? Can he can he check down a little faster than he had to last year? His poise was mm-hmm. ridiculous, and it is a, a clear strength. But, you know, it can backfire on him a little bit.
0: Mm-hmm. In those bigger games last year, because, I mean, I I won't pretend that I was breaking down Joe Burrow tape, it certainly seemed like there were a lot of plays where he was was sort of identifying the best one-on-one matchup and tossing up a 50-50 ball for the receiver to catch. And that's, you know, good that you're trusting your receivers, you're putting the ball in catchable spots, making good throws, but I think it's fair to say he had great receivers at LSU. LSU. So, I mean, how do you sort of account for that or discount that when you're looking at, at how he played?
2: Yeah, I, I wouldn't necessarily say it was 50 50 balls, but I would say that his receivers were absurd. Um, you know, and obviously maybe there's AJ Green running around there. Maybe, uh, you know, that that becomes an, over, an above average receiving core overall. But yeah, Justin Jefferson was extremely boomer bust until this last year. Then he was just. Boom, nonstop boom. Jamar Chase was the best receiver in the country. His hands are, are as good, like just the hand-catching ability is about as good as you're ever going to see in college. Terrace Marshall would have been the number one on most rece- in most receiving cores, and, and he was the number three. Uh, Clyde Edwards, just on, down the list, Thaddeus Moss and Edwards Healer out of the backfield. Um, the wonderfully named Racy McMath would have been a star <laughs> in a lot of teams. He had 17 catches because just there wasn't enough to go around. Um so yeah he 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 had that advantage. I wouldn't say I mean, he was fitting balls into tight windows he was um you know, he was trusting his receivers for sure, but I don't think he's gonna have the problem of just lobbing it up there and and hoping that his guy comes down with it necessarily. Mm-hmm. He is gonna be used to his guys being open though yes uh,
0: maybe they will get open, who knows i mean you know uh, yeah, maybe they... sure. That, that Bengals scheme was impossible to grade last year because the, every one of their offensive linemen got hurt or played terribly. So <laughs> uh, you would figure that would be hopefully better for him in, in 2020. In terms of the year-to-year leap, I mean, obviously you said you know the first guy with a college passer rating, over 200. I, I'm guessing there has been nobody that has made quite this sort of leap from year-to-year, but – Uh, What what do you think about guys, you know, not not just your one-season examples, not like, you know, a a, a Cam Newton or even a Mitchell Trubisky, but guys who have been at the same school from year to year and made a significant leap, and that's led to them being, you know, highly touted for the NFL draft. Have those guys typically Mm -hmm. turned out well? Is there anybody in sort of Burroughs' neighborhood when it comes to that sort of improvement from year to year?
2: Yeah, I mean, the best, the best example I have is the one that you've heard before probably, and that's Carson Palmer. Um, you know, he was, uh, all world recruit coming out of high school. He played his freshman year. He played, he played more than Joe Burrow did, but he was regarded generally as, as disappointing, uh, for most of his career. He had a 123 pass rating his first year, 118 is his sophomore year, 124 his junior year. It just, USC was mediocre. He was mediocre. Um, but everything clicks with with Pete Carroll and his staff, I guess, the second year in charge there in 2002, mm-hmm. complete 63 percent of his passes, which would be like, you know, in the year 2002, which was somehow almost 20 years ago, by the way. Um, nice. I, I saw a tidbit the other day how like the, the gap between Days to Confuse, like when in 1976 and when they filmed Days to Confuse would have been like filming a movie now about the year 2003. Um I and I, I kinda passed out when I saw that, but I hate Either it. way, um I, I sorry. Anyway, <laughs> uh two thousand two. The sixty three percent uh pass uh completion rate in two thousand two would have been what, about sixty eight or seventy percent probably in right. twenty twenty. Um he had thirty three touchdowns to ten interceptions, almost four thousand yards, uh while not moving at a high tempo at all uh for USC. So that's as, I think as close as you can come. I've, I've looked I've tried to find better examples. I don't think there is one. And, and I mean, Palmer, you know, goes number one, I think. Right. And yes. does. I mean, he has injuries, but he was a clearly a good quarterback for for much of his career.
0: Yeah, no, I mean, that's not. Would that be a successful career if Joe Burrow had Carson Palmer's career? I think so but it wouldn't be fun. Like I think Carson Palmer is someone right. who, you know, could have been a hall of famer with, you know, if he doesn't have those serious knee injuries early in his career, Right. Um, which, you yeah. know, through his mechanics and sort of, he wandered through the wilderness with the Bengals team that wasn't really committed to winning for a while. That's a whole <laughs> other conversation, but it's, uh, you know, I, I mean, that, like uh, that's not a bust. I mean, you wouldn't say maybe it's right. Like the sure. hall of famer you're hoping for, but it's certainly not, you know, a failure.
2: Right no I mean if if he produces that kind of career, whatever the equivalent of that is now, I think it was basically there's no way you can call it a bust or a, or a big disappointment or anything, but when you just produce the best passing season of all time in college football you I, it does feel like the bar is higher like you want to see uh, you want to see more than that even if you can't necessarily be disappointed if he's quote unquote only Carson
0: so would you say I mean you just said it, so I guess just let me confirm it here. Would you say this was, after adjusting for ERA, uh, the best perform the best season we've seen from a a quarterback in college football history?
2: I just don't know how how it couldn't be at this point. Like you know, LSU fans at the end of the year were you know we were the best team of all time, and I can't I'm not going to go that far because their defense mm-hmm. was banged up and pretty mediocre for much of the season, and, and I mean their run game was good, was good enough, but it wasn't uh, amazing or anything. But the passing specifically, the numbers just make you laugh out loud when you get used to what a normal college, uh, what a normal good college quarterback can do. And then you see, with help from the fact that he played 15 games, obviously, which makes things a little more obnoxious, but 5,600 yards, 60 TDs, 76% completion, 14 yards per completion. It's crazy. It's it's When you combine that with the fact that he played half the top 10, I don't know how it couldn't be the, the best season. Is there
0: anyone else who comes to mind for you as, like, comparable?
2: Well, I mean, we, this is an era of great passing, clearly, and, and right. you know, what Tua Tagovailoa did until the very, very end of last year, I mean, he, he was on pace to be the first 200 passer rating guy until, like, the, until the last game. Like, if he throws, like, one fewer pick or one fewer incompletion against Clemson, then he, then he passes 200, and it's... With what he he was doing even this year, he looked better in some ways this year. Uh, he was right there, and but he couldn't quite he, he couldn't cap it uh, the way Joe Burrow capped it by destroying Clemson this year. So that was up mm-hmm. there. Baker Mayfield's last season is up there. Um, you are just for error, then you can certainly get into like the Ty Detmers of the world and whatnot. But um, just in an era of obnoxious passing numbers, he topped them all while probably playing harder schedules too.
0: Hmm. Um. You mentioned uh, Tuatunga Vailoa in terms of the other prospects in this class. I'm not going to ask you or expect you to pick one of them over Joe Burrow, but in terms of their sort of individual skill sets or, or, or aspects of each of their play that end up as meaningful, is there some meaningful element of what these other quarterbacks do that would maybe lead a team or lead someone who's making decisions to prefer them to Joe Burrow?
2: Uh, I mean, I, I would assume he's going to top every list, but you could, uh, you know, if you're not worried about injury, if you're not, if you think the hip if Tua's hip is going to be fine, uh, which is obviously quite the if we, yeah. we, it's a very unique injury and, and, uh, you know, we can have. Faith that he's going to be all right, but until we see it, it's hard to completely believe it. But he, his accuracy, his ability to read and make quick decisions and, and fire off extremely accurate passes to guys, you know, throw them open, get that, hit them on the run, um, it was astoundingly good. And, um, my, you know, my concern with Tua, if there is one, aside from, you know, he's, he's leaving college with the quote-unquote injury-prone label because of a, of a bunch of freak injuries where, like, you know, Adrian Peterson got hurt a lot at OU 2 and he was quote unquote injury prone. And then he, right. you know, he's running thirty-five years later; he's still running for a <laughs> thousand yards or whatever. But um, you know, if if, if it, he isn't really injury prone, if he's able to have a good career, healthy career, he could be very, very good. My concern is that you could watch him and think maybe he's a. It's more of a kind of an automaton kind of thing, right? Where you know he's just. He's, he's taking what the defense gives. He, he's making really natural reads. He's not necessarily making plays on his own. He's just throwing accurate passes and get into, you know, into large windows where guys are wide open. You could probably make that case if, if you're a little concerned about that. But um, he was about as good as we've seen until Joe Burrow came along. And um, I, I think there's still a lot to be said. This is a pretty bad draft class after that. Um, you know, Justin Herbert is clearly naturally talented, but he was inconsistent. Like I, I, you know, maybe that had to do with injuries and and maybe it didn't, but I don't completely love Justin Herbert. Mm -hmm. I loved Jordan Love in 2018. And then the job got a little harder this last year with the new receiving court. And suddenly he was getting baited into lots of bad passes and that concerned me, but Mm -hmm. those top two, I think if two is healthy, I think those top two are both going to be really good.
0: Do you think we're, I mean, obviously, obviously, the hip injury does matter. But let's yeah. say there was no hip injury. Do you think we would be underestimating Tua as a prospect because Joe Burrow is so, you know, extraordinary, and his his season was such a huge outlier?
2: Yeah, I mean, Tua's a little, you know, I, I would assume that undersized doesn't mean nearly what it used to mean. But he's, you know, only six one and two twenty or whatever. Not you know the glorious six five or whatever that Burrow is, and you know maybe. We, you know that would lead to him being undervalued. Maybe the fact that Burrow beat him this year, even though he was hurt. I mean, if he if he's not limping along in that game, even before the, the hip injury, maybe they uh, Alabama comes back and wins that game too. Maybe he doesn't just fumble unforced at the two yard line of LSU, uh, and that flips the game around. But. If if Burrow beats him, maybe that becomes one of those like he won the duel, therefore he's better kind of things, and and we undervalue Tua a little bit. But his Tua's accuracy is pretty crazy, and um, his I I think he's still a heck of a pro uh, of a overall prospect, even if we do kind of assume that Burrow's better now. Mm-hmm.
0: So let's see, when do we want to set a time in the future? Five years, ten years, <laughs> five years from now. Five years from now, it's 2024, 2024 after the twenty twenty four NFL season. Okay, what what do you think the chances are that we look back and we say the Bengals should have drafted Chua lower <laughs> over Joe Burrow with the first <laughs> overall pick?
2: Um, I mean, not obviously not great. Like I think we know who the best odds are right now. But again, if he, if that patience backfires, if His timing gets off. He gets hit by NFL defensive ends a a little bit and starts rushing throws or making worse reads than – I mean, we've seen this snowball on guys before. It's just – it kind of snowballed on him in some ways in 2018. And just the fact that we saw him struggle and the fact that we saw him learn from those struggles and become what he became, I think it makes it even – you know, it's like the, the the you know a boxer who lost a couple of fights and learned from them instead of a guy who hasn't really been who hasn't ever really been punched before. So, um, it, 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 man, I just can't. I, I think he's about as surefire as you're going to get, especially when you factor in the fact that he's pretty mobile. He can escape pressure and he can uh, run when he needs to. He can take a hit. You know, Auburn, that was their whole plan was was tackle the receivers, um, make them earn it, and hit uh, Burrow as much as possible, and he still beat them in the fourth quarter. So um, he's proven a lot, and I would assume we're not going to think back on, on you know, the, they should have drafted Tua, they should have drafted Jordan Love or whatever. Uh, I would assume he's he's kind of the number one for a reason here.
0: I'm going to need a percentage, Bill. What,
2: what, what uh, do you that, think?
0: Uh, do you think, I mean, obviously. No, the
2: percentage that we're going to regret, that, that the Bengals are going to regret it and think they should have picked somebody else. Will They should have,
0: They should have picked Tua.
2: Okay. Uh,
0: 12%. 12. Okay. I, that's that's pretty big. I mean, I, I would have guessed. Two, if you would to guess number, <laughs> I, I would have said maybe 20 okay.
2: Okay. So 12 is telling. Oh, yeah, that's pretty dramatic. Two, two is still pretty good. And, and, again, he could get hit a lot. So we'll see. Um, but I'd still, you know, that's still, you flip that around, that's still an 88% chance that yes. Burrow's better. And, and that's not right. something I would have expected to say six months ago. Yes, that's very Burrow, like Eight dramatic. months ago now. Eight months ago now. Was there, I'll finish up
0: with this, was there, whether it was a game last year, you mentioned those final four games of 2018, yeah. or a game this year where, the switch kind of flipped, and you were like, oh, this is for real. Was it the Bama game? What was that moment for you with Joe Burrow? I,
2: for, there, I think there were a couple. The first one was against Texas in the second. Now, clearly Texas wasn't an amazing team, but, um, I mean, this is LSU. If you're a college football fan, LSU is the team that is still finding the Leonard Pernettes, the big burly guys, and, uh, just trying to physically dominate you. And they had the lead late in in the game at Texas, and Texas' offense was very good. Uh, Burrow takes a sack or, or, you know, almost throws a pick, and, and he's he seems a little flustered. And they still say, basically, you know, go win the game. It's like third and – I don't remember, third and 17 or something like that. They don't run the ball and punt with two minutes left. He steps into the pocket. He fires the ball to whichever open receiver. I don't even remember. Jefferson, I think uh jefferson goes for a touchdown wins the game just lsu the stalwart conservative team basically won the game with offense because they trusted burrow that much and that was that was huge and then auburn was the closest thing he got to a real 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 defensive test uh in his career i mean auburn had a tremendous defense last year and again they hit him a lot they held lsu to 23 points but it's still when he needed to generate scoring drives, he did. That was the kind of everything's going wrong and we need you to win it anyway game. And he did it. So, um, those two were, I think at that point, you, you know, after Auburn, they go to Alabama and, and that becomes a track meet and all that. Like I, I, we kind of knew at that point what, what he had to offer, but I think the Auburn game was the biggest turning point just because he was challenged. They had to work for it a little more.
0: Awesome. Well, Bill, we will not bring this back up if Joe Burrow has an anonymous NFL career. We will leave it in there. I appreciate okay. it.
2: I really appreciate but. it. Let it die. Yeah.
0: But I have I have faith that you are correct. I happen to believe in your opinion <laughs> about Joe Burrow and about all things college football. So if people want to check out more of your college football coverage, where can they do that?
2: Well, uh, there's uh, this website called ESPN.com. And um, really, we're talking about football. We really mean soccer. Um, yes, that's, that's true. That's we're fun. both soccer writers there's now. A tr- it was, that's right. It, football was just the Trojan horse. But um, no, uh, Twitter at ESPN underscore Bill C. Um, and probably somewhere on the ESPN colored football page at any time.
0: Awesome. Well, Bill, thank you so much. Thank you. All right. Thanks so much to my guest today, Todd McShay and Bill Connolly, both of ESPN. More NFL stuff coming up in the weeks to come. Looks like the draft is going to be on time, so we will have draft content coming later this month. But obviously a lot to talk about still in the NFL, still plenty of free agents unsigned, draft stuff on the way. Uh, We're going to make fun of Dave
1: Gettleman for not knowing how to use computers when we get to uh, the draft. But until then,
2: thanks so much for listening.